0: When it's cold outside, thanks to Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, you'll be warm and toasty inside. Right now, put no money down, no payments, and no interest for up to two years at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Visit PellaWI.com today.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the WTMJ talk and text line at 855-616-1620.
0: Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. We start off with a classic example of life-imitating art and one of the fundamental differences between myself and my friend Mike Spaulding. Now, let me back up. A couple weeks ago, I was telling this story, and I forget the context of how we even got into this, but... Um, our, our clothes dryer, and we use our clothes dryer a lot. The clothes dryer started to make this like bad squeaking noise. It was still functioning, but it it's it was making a noise it was not supposed to make. So I'm thinking maybe it's the belt or something. So I call a dryer appliance repair place that live that, that's in our area, and the guy says on the phone he says no, I don't think it's a belt. It sounds like you've got a bad bearing. All right. What do I know? So I say, okay, come on out. And you know, he takes a look. and says, yeah, this. I do it here. It's noise. Yeah, this is. It's a bearing that's going bad because you need to. You need to make sure your dryer vent doesn't get clogged up because there's too much heat in there and it's burning out this bearing. Okay. Well, you can you fix it? Well, sure, I can. Well, to, I'm watching this. And I was telling the story to fix the bearing on this dryer. That the bearing is at the base of the dryer, but to get at this bearing. You have to take the dryer apart. And I mean you have to take the dryer apart. You have to pull out a drill. You have to take off the top. You have to take off the front of the dryer. You have to unplug all the electrical cords that are in it. Then you have to take off the belts then you have to take off the drum then and only then do you get to the the stuff that's at the bottom of all this and i'm looking across my laundry room and i swear to god there's there's like 32 nuts and bolts that are spread out there's just the 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 thing that the Tumblr thing is there it's it's all it's all spread out and i'm going Tom, you could, you can put this together again, right? And he says, well, yeah, I'm, normally I'm able to do it. And it's, it's probably like a, a 50 cent bearing. He shows it. It's, it's all burned out. But to get to that, you got to take the whole thing apart. And then, of course, you've got to put the whole thing back together. And I'm looking at this thinking, wow, I mean, how, how do people attempt dryer repairs on their own? Because I don't know if it was me, if I was looking at YouTube or something like that after I don't know, after about the 16th nut and bolt came out, I would start to be concerned. So I told this story on the radio and stuff. So my friend Mike Spaulding comes in and says, Jeff, it's life imitating art because my dryer has just gone out.
2: Yeah, stop spinning. Second day of vacation, just decided to stop spinning. Heard some horrible noises in there. And I decided, well, what Jeff just told me two days ago sounds like a... Perfectly fine idea. So I'm in the middle stage right now. My dryer is in 35 pieces across my uh, laundry room. And I'm hoping to be able to fix it myself. But you took took your dryer apart. I did. (laughs) I did. Well, there's not a lot of things that can break. So as long as my thought is I can keep things organized and where they're supposed to be, I'll be able to just re-put things back together. And did you have to unplug the wires and stuff? Unplug the wires.
0: (laughs) Took some photos, definitely, you know. Uh-huh. Now, you're you're doing this, I I, I would tell you, quickly, you know, I, I'm thinking, you know, anybody that tries to do this stuff on, on YouTube and all would quickly get lost. But you are now, you're like now on day two? <laughs> this will be
2: day number two. Well, I had to order the parts. I wanted to get it apart to see. My hope was like, oh, the band just broke. Right. You know, it's an easy thing. But of course, the band looks fine. So now I'm thinking it's, from my dryer uh, pros out there that I talked to, they said, it sounds like it's the levers that help the band actually spin. So I'm um, Taking everything apart, cleaning it all out, buying all those new inside parts and going to attempt to put them back in. <laughs> and then hopefully get the drum back. And the thing I'm worried about is getting the band in because you have to like uh, yeah. finagle it blindly. Oh I
0: in the back. I I look. Mike I I can cuz I'm I have this this nightmare of my entire dryer scattered <laughs> all over and all these different nuts and bolts I have I see it pat all over the floor there is no way in God's green earth that I would be able to get it back in in well maybe but days after days after days I I just what possessed
2: you to try to do this yourself I'm a fidgety person I I like to know how things work I'm my interest level in those minor repair things is fairly high Minor
0: when I, repair. You've taken your dryer completely <laughs> apart.
2: <laughs> when I say, I say minor, in my brain it's minor because it's, I can see where everything is supposed to go back to. So as long as I have good photo documentation, my wife is there to help me along the way, I think we can put everything back to where it
0: belongs. Okay. I'll let you
2: know how it goes well, when I put it back together.
0: Right. Me- meanwhile, your, your dryer is out of commission for Lord knows how long. Yes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> we did all the laundry before. I went to a lovely
0: wa- laundromat by our house and did all the laundry. So we got a couple weeks. So we'll see how it goes. See, see, this is this is the one of the many differences between you and me. Maybe it's a product of age. I learned early on when we purchased our first home, I learned early on that there were certain things, um, certain electronic stuff, certain mechanical stuff, certainly plumbing stuff that not only could I not fix, I just did not get the gene in the Wagner family to do that. Not only could I not fix it, but if I messed around with it, typically I made it worse and this, <laughs> That's I'm, my fear. I am just trying to imagine the look on my lovely wife's face. If I'm going to take this on myself, honey, here, you know, get get me the the screwdriver. I'm taking this whole thing apart. So I decided to do it during the week
2: because having done a bunch of repair things around the house, it always takes a lot longer and you never have the right stuff, and sure enough, I had to go out and buy a tool that I didn't already have. But anyway, I've learned that it all takes a it, it takes a long longer than you think, so the worst thing you can do is rush through it. So I'm giving myself Plenty of time before anyone has to have Christmas stuff ready to go and all that kind of stuff in an effort to go slowly, step by step, not rush something, not try and skip a step, not try and speed something up unnecessarily. So I'm anticipating it's going to be a couple day long process, but... Uh,
0: well, I certainly wish you the best of luck. Well, thank you. And, and I just, I, again, I, I listen to this and I, I admire this, I, I admire the individual spirit, and maybe in my case it's God's way of telling me that I have too much money, but I was more than happy to call my friend Tom and have him come out and have him fix the thing, and now it now works well. Can you share with me Tom's information, because
2: I'm not confirmed. I Don't need him still because when I put everything together, there's still (laughs) no
0: guarantee that it it works. Well, that, that, see, that would be the really frustrating thing. And that would, see, that's what would happen to me. I would spend, you know, buy the parts, spend hours and hours, and then some, by some miracle, get it put back together and the damn thing still wouldn't work. That would be, that would be the problem for me. Yeah. yeah, I'm okay with fixing stuff. It's the troubleshooting. You know, if you say,
2: I've done everything that I was told to do, it still doesn't work, then,
0: then we have to call the guy. Let me give you one more, one final tip. Yes, matter please. of fact. Um, when, when you do get it all apart, your, your dryer vents, you have access to them, clean them out. That, oh, that uh, was, yeah. that was one of the, that was one of the big things because he said, well, part of the reason you had this problem, Jeff, is because you know, when was the last time you cleaned the dryer place out? And I said, we've been in the house for five years. I've never had, so, so I don't know. He said, well, what was happening is heat was building up in in there. It was overheating, and that's what caused that part to fail. And you got to get that fixed because, first of all, other parts will fail if you don't. But secondly, it creates a potential fire hazard. So we immediately... You know, called the the, the dryer vent people that came out, and now it's working perfectly.
2: Yeah, that was step one yesterday. Last night was like take apart, organize, and clean everything while you got it bare because, yeah, that's the one thing I was told. Replace everything you can replace and see. Go ahead and do it because you don't want to fix the one thing, and then it doesn't work, and then you're now retaking everything apart. Just do whatever you can.
0: So well, we'll see how it goes. Okay, well if you can't get it back together, you can come over to our house and do laundry. Oh, you don't well, need to I, show up at the laundromat. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. Jeff. All right, that's it. Mike Spaulding, much braver than mine. Uh one of our one of our listeners who texts from the Dominican Republic says, I tried to take my dryer apart, and then the serviceman told me, Look, I've just gotta buy one. Um <laughs> you know, that's it. Jeff, the more you repair, the more you can repair. I'm sure that there is an element to that, but I have I have a deal typically with like lots of the repair services, like the garage door service and the guy that fixes the furnace and all those things. And if they don't try to do talk radio shows, I promise I won't try to fix HVAC or repair dryers or things of the like. But I just, it, it's funny that, I mean, dryers last forever. And Mike and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago and he comes in and says, okay, my dryer is not working. When we come back, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, And the unions. It's an interesting story. I will explain. We will discuss. So very glad to have you with us. All right. I want to let me back into this topic. There there are different ways that employers have of handling sick time. For example, my, my first job out of law school, I worked for the federal government in the U.S. Attorney's Office. In the federal government, you get you accumulate vacation time, and you accumulate sick time. I think it's every two weeks you get four hours of sick time, and you 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 can you know you end up you end up accumulating it. Now, in the federal government, you're allowed to use the sick time, but you're supposed to be sick. You know, you're not that that's not a duplicate for vacation time. You're supposed to be sick. The and the way the way I handled it is, I always viewed it as a like kind of a, a short term. You know short term health policy if i ever i had my appendix on an emergency appendectomy a long time ago, and so I was out for two and a half weeks well that that's okay. I was able to use that that sick time to to cover that. A lot of people though. Don't use the sick time as sick time. They use it as additional vacation. Now, under the federal government, the rule was if you're gone more than three days, you have, you're have you supposed to bring in a doctor's excuse. But almost nobody required people to do it. And I know there were a lot of people that I worked with, nice people, but they just, okay, I've got three days of sick time that's accumulated. I'm going to call in sick. When they weren't sick, they were using it as vacation. So that's that's always the issue. I've worked for other companies including, I think that it's the way it was at Journal Communications when we were owned by Journal, where to avoid that problem, they don't give you sick time. You get personal days. In other words, they roll it in to the vacation. So if normally you would get three weeks of paid time off, PTO, you get 15 days, they would give you 20 days, Understanding that that extra five days, if you follow me, is, is sick time that, that's, that's kind of built in. And you can use it, you can use it for vacation, you can use it if you're sick, it, it doesn't matter. And then the employers don't get into the hassle of trying to say, okay, you know, uh the Friday before a three day weekend, You know, Jeff has called in sick, you know, for the last four or five times that that's happened. And maybe he's really not sick. He's just using it to extend it. So that's the way some employers do it. They give you added paid time off, but they don't call it sick leave. They just, it is sick leave, but that's how they end up handling it. Which brings me with that background to what is going on with this railroad workers strike. Now, the railroad workers, then there's 12 different unions that represent different parts of the railway industry. They have been without a contract for a long period of time. They cut a deal. Biden intervened a while back because the the railway workers are covered by this Commerce Act. So the, the government obviously has an interest in keeping rail work going. And so Biden intervened, and there was a deal that was struck between the unions and between management. Eight of the 12 unions signed off on this. They, they agreed to this. Four of the unions... Four of the unions said, No, we're we we don't want this. We're going to fight this. Now the deal that's out there, what it does is it provides, gosh, a twenty-four percent raise between now and twenty twenty four. It provides annual bonuses of a thousand dollars. It provides caps on health care premiums, all these different types of things. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't provide sick leave per se. Most rail workers get three weeks of paid vacation and then they get an extra five days of paid leave. But again, it, it's not it's not sick time, it's paid leave. And so these unions are saying, no, 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 we want paid sick leave. No, we we want to be able to be guaranteed that we're going to be able to schedule doctor's appointments and we're going to be able to to go to them. We want it to be paid sick leave. And that's that's really what the the hang up on this is. It's not necessarily more vacation time or more time off. It's what you call it. And the railroad industry, the bosses, they're saying, well, the the problem is we you know, we can't we can't guarantee that because, you know, we, we need to have people that are running the railroads. And if you want a doctor's appointment, you know, we're going to try to accommodate you just like we're going to try to accommodate you on vacation, but it, we, we can't necessarily guarantee if you want to schedule your annual, annual physical for three weeks from now and, you know, everybody else is taking off and they have more seniority, we, you might have to schedule it some other day. So that's, That's what the hassle is. It's not really about money, and I'm not sure it's really about time off. It's how you classify the time off. Okay. But anyhow, these four unions haven't wanted to buy into this. So they're threatening to strike. And, of course, you've got the holidays that are coming up. Joe Biden has now gone to Congress and said, I want us, I want Congress to intervene. And the way the law works is Congress can force a settlement. And so that's what's about to happen. The House of Representatives is getting ready to vote, and this vote will impose this settlement that essentially was agreed to by the other eight unions but hasn't been agreed to by the remaining four. So the settlement would be, okay, boom, this is what's going to happen. You have to take it. And it's sort of interesting because, like, for example, I'm looking at, you know, one of the statements by, you know, Nancy Pelosi. You know, Pelosi is out there saying, well you know here's the deal i i stand you know with i stand with unions i i do but the problem is in this particular case you know we can't allow this we can't allow a strike Because it's going to, you know, shut down the country. I don't like going against the ability of unions to strike, but weighing the equities, we must avoid a strike. Then she goes on to say jobs will be lost if the rail workers go on strike. Even union jobs will be lost. And so we we have to intervene. Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, Bernie Sanders is saying, I will never vote for anything which requires unions to. To agree to something that the unions don't want to agree to. Our number is 855 616 1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Is Congress doing the right thing by forcing a settlement? What do you think? I'll tell you where I come down and we will discuss in just a moment. 855 616 1620. (laughs) 855-616-1620. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. I have I, this is one where I, I and you can mark the tape on this. I actually agree with, with Joe Biden. I mean, here here is the deal. There, there are certain industries that are, in fact, you know, regulated because it is in the national interest, and Congress has the ability to do this. Do I think that, as a general rule, Congress should be interfering in labor management relations and imposing settlements? No, no, I don't. But there are certain industries where the national interest is primary and it's premium, and to me, this is – it's one of those situations. Um, let's see, number of texts here. Jeff, this could be the start of teachers' union mentality. If I don't like my contract, which I agreed to a month ago, I'll threaten to strike, knowing sooner or later I get my way because the job needs to be done. Jeff, rail workers move 2 billion tons of freight 24-7, 365. They deserve their sick days. Okay, but that misses the point, And that's one of the problems with the way this story is being covered. It's not that they don't have time off in case they're sick. It's just they're not designated as sick days. They get paid time off. They get on average five days a week, which they are on top of their vacation, which they're supposed to use for sick days. Now that the problem again is that they, they want to have things that are specifically called sick days, and so that that and so they say okay I've, I've got a sick day, I want to schedule a doctor's appointment four weeks from now, and, and so you can't say no to me. I want to be able to force that and and that's where I think the issue lies now, look, I think any good boss is going to try to accommodate people, for example, I mean here at good karma brands, we have sick days we, that's, I'm back under that old system, but you're supposed to be Sick. You're supposed to use them for again health purposes. So I have a, I, I have some just routine medical stuff that, that are scheduled for the end of the month. So I'm taking, I, I'm putting all these different medical appointments on one day, and I'm scheduling that as a sick day, and that that's so I can do that. And my employers are accommodating me, which is the the way to do it. But th- this idea that, well, we, we have to call them sick days. No, they, they, they get the time off regardless. But the bottom line here, and again, I don't say this very often, but Chuck Schumer is right, Nancy Pelosi is right, Biden is right, and the Republicans should be on board with this because you cannot allow the rail workers to strike. And in this particular case, it's not like they are imposing this particularly unfair agreement. Eight of the 12 unions signed on to this. 24% increases, not bad at all. I'm Mike Spalding, citing Unlimited, WDTMJ News Time, 1233. You know why the Dow is coming back? You know, the Dow was down this morning. It's making a comeback because uh, Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve, the, the last several months the federal reserve has had three quarters of an effort to tame inflation they they've increased the prime lending rate by like three-quarters of a point. Apparently, he was speaking this morning, and he suggested that uh, in December, they're going to raise the rates, but only a half a point, smaller percentage than they've done in the past, and stock market is responding well to that.
2: All right, Jeff, so does that mean good news for us or bad news for
0: us? That's all I care about at this point. Oh, is I think, it- well, I, I first of all, anytime the stock market goes up, I well, think yeah, that's I <laughs> good news for everybody. <laughs> Number no, no, I, I think we, we, we want it to create. No, no, no. Well, I, I think that. The Federal Reserve has decided that the way they're going to tame inflation is for these interest rate increases. I personally believe that they've overdone it. This is me personally. And so – if they were considering a three quarters percent uh, increase, and they've cut it down to half a percent, I, I'm I'm think that's good news. Okay, all right, good. I'm excited then. All right, good enough, <laughs> a- absolutely. And and you'll go home, and you know maybe you'll have enough money in your four hundred one k to go hire that washer repairman. You know, no, I might the dryer need need repairman. <laughs> 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 no, you're, you're 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 I'm getting lots of texts. You're people's heroes for being willing to take all, apart your dryer and. We'll all just-
2: right. We'll we'll do little day to day updates and I'll let everyone know how it's going because it might go from hero to <laughs> martyr here
0: real quickly. Day to day updates, it's it's like okay, that's that's the other thing. I mean, it's again, it's it's this project because see, my wife would say I need to use the dryer, you know. <laughs> so it's we we have to get this this taken care of. So, all right, Mike Spaulding, he's our hero. We love it when we come back. Oh, the Waukesha Christmas Parade! It is this Sunday. I've got a couple questions. <laughs> As rates and inflation still rise, how will markets react? How much will a recession impact employment and earnings? Join WTMJ's Steve Scafidi and Annex Wealth Management's President and CEO Dave Spano as they walk through expectations for the new year in a virtual webinar on Thursday, December 8th. That's one week from tomorrow from 1 to 2 p.m. Inflation, bull markets, bear markets have all your 2023 financial questions answered on our virtual webinar presented by Annex Wealth Management. All right, Sunday afternoon. Four o'clock, downtown Waukesha, there will be the Waukesha Christmas Parade. Now, why, why are we talking about the Waukesha Christmas Parade instead of, like, all the other Christmas parades that are out there? Well, we're talking about it because this is the first Waukesha Christmas Parade since what happened last year when you had the psychopath, Daryl Brooks, who decided to drive through the Christmas Parade, killing six people and injuring dozens and dozens and dozens of more. So the... The parade is now back. The police chief, the mayor, the fire chief, they, they've all said, look, we, we, have made, we have made some changes here. The, the theme of the parade is peace on earth. And we said, look, we, we've, we've come up with additional safety measures. Now, it is unfortunate in today's day and age that you have to think about safety measures when it comes to staging a Christmas parade, but you do. So they said we're going to add more security, we're going to place modular vehicle barriers in key locations, which I assume would mean if somebody else tried to crash through the parade they could quickly try to block the off the exit. They said we're creating a new parade route that will now start on the west end of Cutler Park. The route has changed so they can have more security in the area, and there's going to be a more visible presence with uniformed police officers. And you know they think also, by the way, we're, we're going to have a uniform presence, but we're also going to have what they call covert stuff. So I I think they're recognizing, you know, what what ended up happening last year. They're very, very mindful that they do not want a a repeat. But nevertheless, you you know what happened last year has to be in the back of people's minds, right? That's just kind of the the nature of it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. Here is my question for you. Because of what happened last year with Daryl Brooks in the Waukesha Christmas Parade, are you? do you find yourself less likely to want to attend public events like this, whether it's the Waukesha Christmas Parade or the Milwaukee Christmas Parade or the Labor Day Parade or, or whatever? Do you find because of this incident and because of the, the world we live in, no question about it, are, are you hesitant to do this? Or when you hear Waukesha officials say, look, we're, we're taking – it, it was a freak act. Let, let's understand. This was a freak thing that happened last year because, again, of, of the behavior of a psychopath. But nevertheless, we live in this world where you know there's crazies that are out there. You, you hear these stories all the time. The police, the mayor, the fire department, they say we're, we're on top of this and we're, we're doing everything we can to assure that everybody has a wonderful time. Are you reluctant to attend these events, either by yourself or bring your families because of, say, the thing that happened last year? 855-616-1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in a moment. It's another classic clash of the green and gold and those bears from Chicago this weekend. And the best place to be is live in person with our very own Greg Matzik and Gary Ellerson as they host Green Bay Game Day pregame presented by Bud Light. Get ready for the game with the boys at Players in Madison, leading all the way up to kickoff. The show starts at 9 a.m. Head to Players and get great drink specials, including $3 pints of Bud Light. It's Green Bay Game Day pregame live from Players in Madison presented by Bud Light. 8 Five five six one six one six twenty. That's a WTMJ talk and text line. All right. One year after the use whatever you want to word the the, the tragedy, the crime uh, that occurred at the Waukesha Christmas parade. The Christmas parade is back. Uh, the it starts at four o'clock on Sunday. Will you be back? Will other people be back? Because of what Daryl Brooks did a year ago, do you think it makes people less likely to come out? Authorities in Waukesha are saying, look, we've, we're, there's going to be an increased police presence. Some stuff you'll notice, some stuff you won't. But we've, we're doing all sorts of things to guarantee, to the extent we can, the safety of the people who are there. Dean in Waukesha. Dean, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Yeah, hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. I will be sure. there. I, 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 I think that I'm going to take a stand and show people that walk is a safe place. We are very safe. We have security. Mm-hmm. Um, a new police chief, our mayor, does a great job. Mm-hmm. So I will be
1: there walking what? in the parade.
0: Dean, I think that's outstanding. And I think that's the attitude that people have to have. Look. I I would never encourage people to do things that are irresponsible or, you know, unreasonably dangerous. At the same time, I just firmly believe that we cannot allow ourselves to stop doing things that that would otherwise be normal, things that we enjoy, things that make us a part of the community, simply because we're we're afraid that there might be that psychopath that's out there. And look, and I understand, unfortunately, this happens, you know, all the time. You hear the stories of, you know, this act or that act, or, you know, do you not go to Las Vegas because you had some, you know, psycho that ended up, you know, involved in a shooting incident. Okay, well, no, you still go to Las Vegas. You hope authorities learn a little bit and take precautions, but it would be it would be a shame of the highest magnitude if we got into a situation where, oh, there, there's the chance that you've got some psychopath, you know, in a car who could do this. I mean, look, here, here is just the reality. We, we take certain risks anytime we get out in public. You drive down the streets, and, you know, how many stories do we have about, you know, the 16-year-old in a stolen car driving 80 miles an hour blowing through, you know, intersections? We did the story yesterday about the guy who's still on the street, despite the fact that he's gotten 37 citations in the last four years, including multiple ones for driving, you know, 25 miles an hour over the speed limit. Well, you could run into that guy, or worse, he could run into you. Jeff, I've lived in Waukesha for 24 years. I've never been to the Christmas parade. I'm going to be there on December 4th. I can't wait. I'm sure the crowd will run the gambit emotion-wise. I know that there will be a lot of energy there. Um, Yeah, I, I think that, you know that's. That's certainly the case. Jeff, we continue to attend events such as this. However, due to the state of the world we live in, remaining alert and using more caution than otherwise would be exercised might be the new norm. Yeah, that's I I mean, look, that's you always want to be aware of your surroundings. I mean, I think that's just good, solid advice. And and definitely I think there's probably, after what happened in Waukesha, regardless of whether it's Waukesha or Menominee Falls or Whitefish Bay, wherever the Christmas parade is, obviously, a Fourth of July parade, it's the same sort of thing. It doesn't matter. Whenever in these public gatherings, I think more and more people, you know, pay attention to their surroundings. And that's not... That's not a bad thing. Jeff, I'm not a parade goer. That being said, I will attend the Waukesha Christmas Parade as a show of support for all of the families and businesses and organizations that participate in the Waukesha Christmas Parade and for those that were injured and killed last year, that we are with you and we are with your families. I think that is precisely the attitude that, that you, you want to have. And I, my guess is, my guess is, and I said this to the mayor, I was a... Involved in every, every year, they're kind enough in Waukesha. They do a Veterans Day event, and I I, I MC'd that, and I've MC'd it for most of the years that it's been in operation. And I was with you know Mayor Sean Riley at, at the event, and my, that was one of my comments. I said, my comment, I think that this year's Christmas parade, my guess is you're going to get more attendance this year than perhaps ever been there because I think people are going to stand up and say, look, we're, we're not going to give in to fear. We're not going to allow some psychopath like Daryl Brooks to take away this sense of normalcy that we have. But that's not to say that I don't think that the authorities need to adapt, and it sounds like they've certainly done that. Jeff, I think most people will continue to attend these types of events because, just like the aftermath of 9-11, we're not going to stop living our lives because of what bad people have done. Jeff, I'm not reluctant to go to a parade because of the Waukesha Parade incident last year. I believe it's just like 9-11 or any other tragedy, where when it's fresh, you're maybe reluctant to do something. After time passes, you realize you cannot stay away from everything because of the tragedies that happen throughout our life. We cannot constantly live in fear, or we will stop enjoying life altogether. Yeah, I think that there's a huge element to that. Jeff, I think— More people are going to attend because, at the end of the day, good always prevails over evil. You know, Waukesha's strong. I think that's it. Jeff, Waukesha is probably safer now than ever. There is an element to that, too. I've always made this argument that when you have have these crazies out there— who, like, for example, make the bomb threats at the schools that, that you'll have or the shooting threats at the schools. And then sometimes the, the authorities come out, they investigate, they say there's nothing to this, but you always have a bunch of parents who are reluctant to send their kids to school. I, I've always argued that the safest place to be is, for example, a, a school after there's been a bomb threat that's called in that has been investigated by the authorities and found to be meritless because you know you know that there's going to be an added law enforcement presence, you know that everybody's going to be especially vigilant to make sure that, you know, nothing bad happens. And so I think there's an element to that as well that goes on with this Waukesha Christmas Parade. But the bottom line of all this is the parade is back. They're going to have a lot of floats. They're going to have a lot of people that are participating in it. And I think they are going to have record attendance, four o'clock this Sunday afternoon, Waukesha Strong. Now, as long as we're talking about ever-present crime issues, uh, another day, more significant criminal charges. And we are, unfortunately, my guess is probably by the time we speak on Monday or Tuesday, we will have hit 200 homicides in the city of Milwaukee, which is just an absolutely unthinkable number. I mean, there there was a point in time um, where, where 100 homicides were unthinkable, and now, you know, we're, we're already – Last year, we had 193 homicides in the city of Milwaukee alone, and and we're not even to December yet, and we've already topped that. And, I mean, I I don't know how high it's going to end. Uh, Some people haven't gotten the message about, you know, peace on earth and goodwill towards men. Here's the the latest story. This is from Fox 6. Two men are now charged after a kidnapping and shooting in Milwaukee. Prosecutors say they left two other men for dead in a vacant home. A 19-year-old was shot in the head but was able to tell police— what happened? He could just not say where it happened. Early in November, members of the Milwaukee Police Department's Special Investigations Division searched vacant houses when they came to one in the Walnut Hill neighborhood just east of Washington Park. Inside, they found the body of a 30-year-old man. He was shot. The last place he was seen alive was near Tetonia and Atkinson. And now they've they've charged the guy. Apparently, what, what happened is you have the two bad guys who kidnapped this man and somebody else he was with took them to this boarded-up home on North 37th in Milwaukee, walked them into the house, walked them into a back stairwell leading to the basement. One of the defendants asked the two men if they had any final words and then shot them both in the head, leaving them for dead. One man was killed, and the the other one who was shot has miraculously survived. Um, they've now you know, caught the people that did it, and they're— One's on a half a million dollars bail, the other's on a $350,000 bail. But it's this type of stuff that's happening, I think, is really getting people's attention because it's not just the nature – it's not just the crimes. But it's 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 the nature of these crimes. It's, okay, we're going to abduct people, and then we're going to, you know, do something kind of like you envisioned what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. You know, we're going to take him into, you know, an abandoned place, and we're going to shoot people in the head, and we're going to leave them for dead. And unfortunately, this is ty- the type of stuff which is going on on a regular basis around here, whether it's oh, there's a shooting on 88th and Hampton, and there's 137 bullets that are fired at a house, or you've got people that are abducted and effectively executed. You know, it's one thing after another, and it is the challenge, and unfortunately— it is not getting better, and that's why, you know, moving forward, we, I think collectively this community needs to come together and say, look, we, we've got to do better. Now, I've offered my solutions. i said, you know, we need more police. I know our reports are today that they're going to use federal money to put more police on the street. That's great. We need to flood high-crime neighborhoods with those police. And if that means that some people in the community get upset because Too many of this type of person or that type of person is getting arrested. Who cares? I mean, you need to get the bad guys off the streets. You need to go back to the broken windows idea of enforcement, which is that the little stuff matters, and we're going to enforce the little stuff because if we don't, it's going to become big stuff, and then you need to put pressure on the prosecutors, on the courts to do what needs to be done. When they get the bad guys off the streets, make sure they stay off the streets. Coming up in the next hour of the program, we got a lot of stuff, car accessories, new york city and the mentally ill and what do you do with this greendale student responsible for swatting all that and a lot more the next hour of the wagner show starts right after the news
1: live from the annex wealth management studios at the avenue it's the jeff wagner show
0: now here's wtmj's jeff wagner Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. You know, having done this for as as long as I've done it, there are not many stories that render me speechless. But every once in a while you have one, and and this is is one. Let me just share this with you. This is the way TMJ4 is reporting it. A 10-year-old boy who shot and killed his 44-year-old mother last week now, let me back up. You might remember the story when it first broke and it was being reported as a, a, an accidental shooting. Ten-year-old shoots his mother by accident. <clears throat> well, it doesn't appear that that's the case. Ten-year-old boy who shot and killed his 44-year-old mother last week in Milwaukee is being charged with first-degree homicide as an adult. That's, I think, because they, they have to. I'm not sure that's ultimately going to be how it turns out. According to a criminal complaint, get this. Now, we're talking. To, keep in mind we are talking about a ten-year-old. The boy was allegedly mad at his mother for waking him up early and not letting him have something on Amazon. The fatal shooting took place near 87th and Hemlock around 7 a.m. on Monday, November 21st. So that would be, you know, over a week ago. Police initially reported the boy was playing with the gun when it discharged, striking his mom. The mother was shot in the head and died from her injuries. According to the criminal complaint, when the boy was first interviewed, he said he was twirling the gun around with his fingers and it accidentally went off. I mean, of course, that raises all sorts of issues about, you know, you got a, you got a loaded gun, you got a 10 year old. I mean, what's going on? But it's more complicated than that. After killing his mother, according to the complaint, the boy woke up his sister and then found, who then found their mother dead. She called 911. Due to his age, the boy was allowed to remain with the family. Of course, also, they they thought it was an accidental shooting. However, the following day, the family contacted the Milwaukee Police Department with serious concerns. The complaint says the boy's 26-year-old sister told detectives he has had rage issues all his life and five different imaginary people that talked to him. A therapist previously gave the boy a concerning diagnosis, and the mother had placed cameras inside the home to watch him, according to the complaint. Again, we're talking about a 10-year-old. Two weeks prior to the woman's murder, someone had unplugged these cameras. So I think the implication is this is something the 10-year-old was maybe considering doing. The sister told detectives she learned the morning after their mother's death, the boy logged onto the mother's Amazon account and ordered an Oculus virtual reality headset. The complaint says a family member also alleged that the boy would pick up their puppy by the tail and swing the puppy around until it whined and howled in pain. This occurred when the boy was allegedly four years old. An aunt told detectives that the boy never cried or showed remorse following his mother's death. The complaint alleges the 10-year-old told his aunt that he was actually aiming the gun at his mother. The day after his mother's death, the aunt said he apologized for killing his mom, and then asked if his Amazon package arrived. And then asked if his Amazon package arrived. In a second interview with detectives, the 10-year-old allegedly admitted he retrieved the gun because he was mad at her for waking him up early and not letting him get something on Amazon. He told detectives his mom walked in front of him when he tried to shoot the wall to scare her. Did I mention this is a 10-year-old? The complaint says he admitted to getting his mother's keys from the gun lockbox the night before. The 10-year-old has been charged with first-degree reckless homicide. If convicted, he faces a maximum of 60 years in prison. Had his initial appearance on Friday, cash bond of $50,000. He will appear in court for a status hearing on December 7th. In Wisconsin, you can be charged as an adult if you are 17 years as older. Um, to charge someone younger than 17 is rare, and 10 years is practically unheard of. Well, wow. okay, that of course raises the question, and our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Let us assume for the sake of argument that this is this is true, that, that the facts alleged in the complaint happened as alleged in the complaint. You have a kid who starting at the age of four, was, I think, essentially torturing, you know, animals, if if that's true, who, at least the implication is, unplugged security cameras, was frustrated, was angry at his mother, went into the lockbox, got the key to the gun lock, took off the gun lock, and ended up, you know, shooting his mother. Now, his story at first was, no, it accidentally went off. Now it's, well, I was just trying to scare her. But, he killed her, and then after he kills her, he goes and orders a virtual reality game set on Amazon. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Right now, he's been charged an adult. He's 10 years old. What do you do with this kid who, again, if the facts are as they appear to be, murdered his mother? And you can argue whether, okay, is he telling the truth when he said he was just trying to scare her or... You know, is this somebody who just thought, I'm, I'm going to shoot mom because I'm mad at her? 855 616 1620. What do you do with this 10 year old? And, and if you say, okay, we're going to treat him as a juvenile, um, that essentially means that you try to get him some treatment and stuff, but you turn him back loose on the streets when he hits 18. Can you do that? 855 616 1620. That's a WTMJ talk and text line we discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. This is, and I, matter of fact, I just sent out a tweet on this. If you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner620 with, with the details of the story, but I just kind of shared the operative things to you. I just don't know. I don't know, you know, what's. I don't even know what to say about something like this. But now, at the age of ten, the kid has been charged as an adult. Now, there's going to clearly be an effort to try to, you know, um, send him back to juvenile court. You send him back to juvenile court, though, and and pretty much your your ability to deal with him ends when he's 18 years old. Jeff, my guess is the boy would be schizophrenic. The mother, my mother, my sister used to work specifically with schizophrenics, um, who would torture torturing animals was always the first sign of the disease. Maybe a mental facility would be the appropriate place for him. Um, yeah, well, there, there's an element. Jeff, take a page. F- um, Jeff, um, I think reality, we need to throw the book at him. Jeff, these types of horrific shootings are like a cancer. I'm not sure the cure, but um, you know, I, again, strong father figure might help. I, I don't know what the family circumstance is here, Jeff. He should get sixty years and not a day less. Well, I think there—that's that, the—that's the problem, Jeff. This kid needs to be locked up. He's going to be the next serial killer um jeff the story about this little boy is ridiculous it sounds like something out of a michael myers halloween movie um jeff the kid needs to be locked up he's going to be the next serial killer somebody else suggests um yeah, yeah this is i mean this is one of these issues where you just and this is part of the problem with the juvenile justice system in general because it wasn't drafted to take these types of, of situations into account it was like okay the, you were drafting the juvenile justice code back in a, a simpler time when the crime was, okay, Opie and a couple of his buddies go out and maybe they're throwing rocks and they break a window. Not a ten year old who, at least if you believe the allegations of the criminal complaint, knowingly and intentionally sets out to kill his, his mother. Um 1620 six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Stacy and Racine. Stacy, you're first. Hello.
4: Hi. Let me say first, I have I, I a feeling you're going to get callers to say, you know, he shouldn't be doing prison time, that he should be getting the mental health help he needs, which he would not receive in prison. Um, the state doesn't have it. It doesn't have the resources to, to give him the help he needs. We don't need to put him in prison for 60 years for him. We need to do it for us to protect society from him. Because even if he were to get help now as a child, we've we're got kind of the same situation in our family. You can somewhat monitor that as a kid with medication. I heard one report that you know he hears voices and, and mm-hmm. stuff. But as an adult, you can't monitor that. And the problem, like we have in our family, once they they're medicated, and they think all is good. They go off their meds. Yeah. And and then they're you know then they're crazy again, and they and they do damage and they kill, and. We just don't have the resources in the state. They, they're an adult. They can check themselves out. This kid is a mess, and I'm, I'm sure if he would listen to their school, he didn't go to school and, and, and be an angel all of a sudden. I bet they have problems with him, too. Yeah. Um, obviously, the mother knew with having you know cameras in the house why there was a gun in the house, knowing yeah. that the, he was this way. I, I, I don't yeah. understand that. But he definitely has to go to prison just to protect us.
0: Yeah, no, thank, thanks for Steve. And the way it works in Wisconsin, we just in kind of like in a nutshell: if he were to be tried as adult, plead guilty, convicted, whatever, it's not like at the age of ten they send him into a pond. That that's you, you don't you don't put him in a maximum security facility. Regardless of what happens, he's going to be housed in an appropriate juvenile correctional facility until he turns 18. The question would be, you know, if he's if he's dealt with as a juvenile once he turns 18, well, then he's pretty much going to be released from supervision. And, and you hope against hope that you know this doesn't repeat itself if he's convicted as an adult. There is a way the system can continue to keep control of him beyond the age of 18. And I guess my, my question, and I guess it's somewhat rhetorical, but if, if you intentionally set out to murder your mother at the age of 10, obviously there, there's huge mental issues that are there. there I mean, there, there's no question about it. But if, if you're, if you do that at the age of 10, I mean, I, I'm all in favor of getting people treatment and, tr- and things like that. But can you take a chance that by the time he hits 18 or 19, if, if you don't have him under some sort of court control, can you take the chance that, oh, he, he's, he's going to be cured? Um, you know, he'll, he'll be normalized. Or is this the example of somebody with some deep-seated, you know, mental illness that doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't understand the, the wrongfulness of his conduct? But how, how can you put somebody who intentionally does this back out on the street? in just a matter of years as an adult. And my answer would be, no, you you can't do that. Julie and Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ.
5: Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, I have my own take as a psychologist, but I totally agree with you. This is a kid that needs to be tried as an adult. Um, what we know is... If the facts of the case are true, mm-hmm. this was premeditated, it's premeditated. He took the cameras down. He um, had motive. Um, this was premeditated. Yeah. So you cannot have an individual like this on the street. And I also agree with your other caller. We need to have a public service announcement somehow throughout this country that, please, if your child, I don't care how old they are, if they are mentally ill in this fashion, please do not have a gun anywhere near them.
0: Mm-hmm. Please. Yeah. Well, and apparently, again, from the criminal complaint, there, there's sort of vague references to uh, like a therapist that was involved or something. So I mean, cl- I mean if the mom put up cameras, clearly they they, they, they they there was something going on in that house that was troubling to everybody.
5: Absolutely. What they know about the, these types of symptoms is starting at age 3, you could be diagnosed with conduct disorder, which is the precursor to antisocial personality disorder. Mhm. So you can you can learn at a very young age if your child is seriously ill, and if so, um, please protect society. Please.
0: Yeah, like in, in the court, and again, I mean, it sounds like the mom they, they had the gun in the house, but the gun was kind of locked up. But the ten-year-old knew where the the key was, and so he was able to access that, which is kind of the scary thing. Does this, in, in your opinion, Julie? Does this stuff ever? do you ever get better or is this just is this just the way this 10 year old is going to be moving forward
5: well it's interesting a previous caller had mentioned schizophrenia Schizophrenia is very different than conduct disorder or antisocial personality disorder. Schizophrenia actually can be um, improved even in recovery, full recovery with proper medication and treatment. Mm-hmm. However, conduct disorder and antisocial personality disorder, there are no approved medications that can treat those disorders. It's an actual um difference in the brain. Their yeah. brains are
0: different. So it kind of is what it is. I mean, it's, you know, some of us, I, I, I've been using the term sociopath to describe like Daryl Brooks, for example, and, and, and whether that's clinically right. the correct term, that's what people understand it to be. And if, if you're a sociopath, you're a sociopath.
5: Exactly. Sociopath is just another name for antisocial personality disorder. Okay. It's just another term.
0: Got yeah. it. Now, thank, Julie, thanks for the perspective. I, I appreciate it. I just... You know, I and what's so mind boggling about this story is you say, okay, he's 10 years old and you're talking about treating him as an adult. But this if this was a case where you had a kid that was playing with a firearm and and that's what authorities thought they had at first. That's why they didn't take him out of the house right away. If this was a situation where. You had a kid that, that shouldn't have access to the gun, but has gotten the gun and he's playing around with it. And we have these stories. We probably have a half a dozen of those stories from around here every year. And the gun accidentally goes off or, or whatever. That That's OK. That's that's an accident. Then you look and you say, OK, why did the kid get access to the gun and those type of things? But it doesn't appear that that's this story. It appears that this story is is the kid who was angry at his mother because she woke him up and wouldn't buy him a video game or whatever, set out to to kill her. And again, the implication of the complaint is that somebody unplugged all these cameras that were in the house, and they did it a day or two beforehand. The implication of that is that, okay, maybe this was something that wasn't spontaneous. This is something that this 10-year-old had been contemplating for a while. Dave in Oak Creek. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Dave. Good
1: afternoon, Jeff. I what did. a terrible, terrible yeah. uh, topic. Yeah. But uh, what this kid immediately screams to me, this is a future Daryl Brooks, yeah. and society needs to be protected from yeah. uh, evil yeah. like this. Yeah. I don't care what they do with him, as long as he never gets to harm people Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. And and me
1: or anybody else.
0: Yeah. And and I don't know. I mean, I'm not smart enough to know if there's stuff you can ultimately do 20 or 30 years down the road. But the idea the idea of this this 10 year old turning 18 and getting out on the street. No, thank you. I, I, I we don't want to take that chance.
1: No, no. This person has done something that is irretrievable and they should pay. The way this person paid, they mm-hmm. died. They no longer have any options. This person should have no longer have any options, and that's it.
0: Yeah. Thanks for the call. You know, Dave. I, I mean, some people might say, "Well, okay, it's, it's ten years old, and at the age of ten, your your brain doesn't work the same way it works as if you're twenty or thirty, and and because it's still developing." And that's that is true to an extent. But I would I would make a strong argument that even at the age of ten, even at the age of ten you, you know right from wrong to the extent that you know it is wrong to kill your mother and, and the fact that he unplugged, if that's what happened, unplugged the cameras, you know, went to the extent of, you know, taking the gun unlocking the gun from the gun case, doing all that stuff, he, he clearly understood that what he was doing was wrong. I, I just, again, it, it's tough to describe a case like this, but for people who say, oh, my God, they've charged this 10-year-old with as an adult, well, it, it appears that he engaged in, I think you could make an argument, the plea, premeditated murder of his mother. Now, whether they can ultimately prove premeditation or not, I don't know, but he clearly shot his mother, and if the defense is going to be, well, he didn't intend to shoot her, he was really just intending to scare her, uh I... Doesn't, doesn't matter one way or the other. He doesn't belong on the street for a long, long period of time. Tis the season for giving, and Kids to Kids Christmas Toy Drive is one of the best ways to celebrate. Our very own Vince Vetrano is going to be at Blaine's Farm and Fleet in Grafton, along with the WTMJ Street Team, on Thursday, December 8th, collecting donations benefiting the Kids to Kids Toy Drive. Donations will be collected starting at 3 p.m. and will go to 5 p.m. If you can't make it, visit kidstokidschristmas.com for more information on how you can donate to this great cause. And I'm going to be doing one of those events a little bit later on. Uh, um, in december so looking forward to that all right in in the last segment of the program and we're going to lighten it up in the two o'clock hour i understand we've been talking about some heavy topics um in in the last segment we talked about this this 10 year old who it, it, it certainly appears and i think a reasonable inference is that he engaged in the premeditated murder of his mother i mean i think that's a reasonable sort of, of inference from that and and clearly Clearly there there are huge mental problems. And I'm I mean, I'm not suggesting that the, the kid is necessarily insane. And people need to understand that, that there there's a difference, for example, under the law when they talk about insanity. Insanity means you, you can't You don't understand the difference between right and wrong, and you can't conform your conducts to the conduct to the requirements of of the law. That's different than being a a sociopath. That's different than saying, "Hey, I'm than being a Daryl Brooks and I I don't care about anybody else, and I'm going to drive through this parade and kill people." Obviously, there's mental issues going on, but that doesn't mean you are criminally insane. And a lot of people that are out there who have significant mental health issues, they're they're not they're not criminally insane. They just have mental health issues. So the question becomes, do we force people to get help who obviously can't help themselves? Now, in Milwaukee, you remember a couple of years ago, we, we had this huge issue where you had the, 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 well, I'll call them the tent encampments, although they weren't necessarily tents, but you had the people that were living under the freeway overpasses, in January and February, you know, the people who live out so outdoors, you know, in Madison, there's the, the homeless tent community that gets set up. Um, you, you have this going on all over the country. People who are living outdoors, and many of the people, not all, but many of the people who are doing that are are mentally ill. That, that's just that, that's just throughout. I mean, some are some are dispossessed and are trying to do everything they can to get shelter, et cetera. Others. They suffer from various mental illnesses. Uh, to who make the decision? I, I, I don't, I don't want to be inside. I don't want people telling me what I want to do. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to live on the streets, even if that's fundamentally not safe. New York City has, and this surprised nobody. They have a huge problem with homeless encampments. You know, people just squatting, taking up place in spots in in public areas. Madison has had that problem as well. The new mayor of New York, Eric Adams, who, of course, has a background with their police department, he he recognizes that this is a huge problem on a lot of different levels. First of all, from the perspective of of people who are coming to the city and doing business, it's a huge problem if you have like large homeless encampments that that are there and people blocking. You go to San Francisco. San Francisco is one of the greatest cities. It used to be one of the greatest cities in North America. You know, now you try to walk through San Francisco and you cannot walk a block in San Francisco without having one, two, three, four people, many of whom are suffering from mental illness, come up and aggressively panhandle you and things like that. It's very difficult to patronize the businesses. You know, people are reluctant to go into these areas. So, So the mayor of New York appreciates this. On the flip side of this, the, the other answer is, and I've, I've always made this, this argument, if you've got somebody who is suffering from various types of mental illness and they're making the decision that, hey, it's a February night in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I, I want to I be under this freeway overpass because I, I don't like being told I have to go to the rescue mission or whatever because they've got rules or whatever, we are not doing those people a favor by allowing them to to stay out. We're not doing them a favor by saying, okay, well, here's a sleeping bag. Now, what you have to do is you have to get them off the street, and I would argue you have to get them the help that they end up needing, which brings me to the story. Now, this is a Democrat mayor of New York City. He says, acting to address a crisis we see around us and acting to address a problem that they've had where they've had a number of high-profile crimes involving homeless people Yesterday, the mayor of New York said, here's what we're going to do. We are going to aggressively start removing people with severe untreated mental illness from the city streets and subways. We're going to make a priority of clearing homeless encampments and and involuntarily hospitalizing people who we believe are a danger to themselves, even if they pose no risk of harm to others. And he's arguing the city has a moral obligation to help. So if you have somebody who, even if they're not threatening other people, but they're still making the decision that, gee, it, it's five degrees below zero. I want to be I, in this homeless encampment or I want to be under this freeway overpass instead of, you know, going into the rescue mission or whatever. What Adams is saying is we're going to get these people off the street and we are going to begin aggressively getting court orders Um to provide that, that they have to be involuntarily hospitalized where we're going to do everything we can to get them the treatment that they need. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. So here, here's my question. You know, wh- what do you think? Is this, if people want to stay out on the street and they're not bothering other people, you know, should we allow them to do this? Or is that is that really inhumane? Are we doing people a favor? Should we be more aggressive? And in Wisconsin, it might mean changing the law, but should we be more aggressive about involuntarily, um, hospitalizing people for mental treatment? Um, if, if we believe that, you know, their conduct is clearly a harm to themselves, a harm to themselves, not meaning necessarily somebody's talking about being suicidal, but a harm to themselves being, Okay, it's 10 degrees below zero on a February night. You, if, if you're making the decision that you'd rather be outside than inside, there's something wrong. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Okay, so the the mayor of New York, who is clearly frustrated with the ongoing problem of homelessness in New York City, he said this, we've had enough is enough. And so what we're going to do is we are going to start taking people who are mentally ill, who are choosing to live in homeless encampments or live on the street. We don't think we're doing them any favors by allowing this to continue. So what we're going to do is we're going to start scooping them up and we're going to take them to court and we're going to try to get them involuntarily committed. That is hospitalized, even if it's against their will, to try to get them the treatment they need. Now, in Wisconsin, you might need to change the laws to do that, but I, I just, I don't think it is humane to simply say, well, okay, we, we don't have the evidence to prove that somebody is a danger to anyone else, so we're just going to allow them to make the decision to live under a freeway overpass. I don't think that's a freeway underpass. I, I, don't, think that that's, I don't think that that's a humane response. Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ.
3: Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank um, you. I'm in the healthcare industry, and, um, you know, it, it's, it's so disturbing to hear this because here's the deal. They, they need a place to go, and so it, they're not capable of making, sometimes, the best decision. So even though the facilities may not be the best, the top best, when you look back in history, and there are a lot of bad ones, but you had to put people somewhere because there are rapists, murderers, thieves, uh, wackos, you know, there's a whole lot of things. We do not have the resources because we're giving our resources to everybody else um, to deal with our own people. And, first of all, that, that's disturbing that we can't take care of our own people. And then, you know, it's just they're going to have to go somewhere. And it may not be the best, but it's better than under an overpass where, where you know, where they're getting uh, their items stolen yep. or abused. Or, you know, they have to go to a facility, and that's just the way it is. It may not be great. Maybe we have to take the prisoners and rehab an old um, uh, institution where they can go and possibly get rehabbed or...
0: Or yeah. Whatever, and, and, and it's, it's look, and, under, it, and it's not going to necessarily work. I mean, I, I I understand you can you can put people in treatment, and if if they're not, if they don't want treatment, if they're going to refuse it, if there are some
3: they're, people that are just not going to yeah. be okay, yeah, they're not going to be okay, yeah. And I guess that's what bothers me the most. It's it's they, it, there are some people that are just no matter how much medication or therapy, there there's a cog off. Yes. And we need to put them somewhere so they don't harm themselves or others.
0: Yes, and, and and by harm themselves, it's not just I I think sometimes we have too narrow a definition of that. It, it's not like okay, the person's going to slit their wrist. It's going to be they right. they they're, they're, they're going to be they're going to be outside in the elements refusing efforts exactly. to try to go to the They're going
3: to freeze to death. Yeah. Not going to eat. Right. You know, I've seen some with their feet, you know, being a diabetic, you know, some of these poor people. I, you know, I do try to donate my time a little bit, um, you know, and, you know, they're just falling apart and they're in pain. And, you know, they're never going to show up at a doctor. Right. They're never going to take their medication. So anybody who thinks they are, okay, what, 2%? They are not.
0: Right. They're, right.
3: they're going to disappear
0: but at so, the same but at know, the same I, time I, I'm Chris just glad it doesn't it's more realistic. Yeah, no, thanks to call. But it doesn't mean that you you shouldn't necessarily try to to do this. And and by by not doing stuff, you're just kind of like throwing up your hands and and look, and here here's what they did in Milwaukee. And I, I do I want to give credit. They, they had these huge homeless encampments. Now, you can argue what the motivation is. I I think part of the thing was this was back when the Democratic National Convention was scheduled to be here in the summer of 2020 before COVID hit and all and I I think I can guarantee you that the powers that be didn't want, when we had all this national media attention coming to Milwaukee, they didn't want the stories to be, oh, here's all these different homeless encampments. So they started cracking down on it. But by cracking down, what they did is they were aggressive about trying to get people off the streets, enforcing the laws that we had, trying to – to find places to to put people whether it was a permanent solution or whether it was a temporary solution and and that and it worked except for that hardcore group of people who in many cases maybe not all the cases but in many cases suffered from various degrees of mental illness well, I think you can again make that argument that you're not doing somebody a favor if they say, okay, well, I, I don't, I don't want to go into the the shelter or whatever because they, they've got rules or they won't let me use drugs or they won't let me drink or you know they tell me I can't fight or whatever. We're we're, we're not doing them a favor. There's obviously something wrong with that thought process. So, you, and for people who do have those various mental illnesses, yet yeah, try to get them the treatment. Now, one of our texters says, well, what's going to stop a judge from declaring you? a threat to themselves and being committed um other than the fact that you have money don't know what that means but I don't know why we have to be snarky when we send these things out but but I guess my response would be well oh, okay you you have you do have due process i'm not arguing that there's not due process but you know, what what we're talking about is the people that are you know exhibiting the bizarre behavior and are like again making the choice that they want to live under the overpass you know in in december or january or february and the thing is if we want to talk about humane i i am willing to bet for a lot of family members of people they would be saying this is this is great because yes we have a, a relative um, we have friends or whatever who are suffering from mental illness. We've done everything we can. We've tried all sorts of outreach, and it's just not working. And, yes, we're concerned that that phone is going to ring one day, and we're going to get the call, and the report's going to be the loved one has died of exposure or whatever because they were in this environment. And then it's going to be, well, why can't we get help? The mayor of New York is at least trying, trying, trying to get people, you know, help. Jeff, Stalin and Hitler had their idea of deciding who was a threat and must be institutionalized. That did not work out well. (sighs) Stalin and Hitler had their idea of checking out who was a threat and must be institutionalized. I I just don't even need to say when I get texts like this because it's like, okay, if we are concerned that you have homeless encampments and people who clearly have mental illness, and they're not able to take care of themselves, and they're hearing voices and things like that, that are trying to get them into hospitals so they get treatment, that's like Stalin and Hitler. I I just, I don't even know what to say. The alternative is, okay, just let people die under the overpasses, and then let them also, you know, congregate outside and create all these other problems that exist as well. To me, that's just not a good solution. One more crime story before we lighten it up in the next hour of the program. Greendale police reveal that they have identified a student in a threat to shoot up Greendale Middle School made earlier this month. Um, Apparently, let's see, the student created a fake social media account. And posted a threat at 11 o'clock in the morning on November 21st. Now, this has been a problem that's been ongoing recently where you've had the swatting instances and things like this. Police said um, so. So what happened is the other people saw this threat. They investigated the threat. It was determined that the threat was not credible. But as a result of this, um, the, the bottom line was, I believe what happened is, you know, Greendale schools went um, virtual for at least one day, I think, as a result of this. Um, they determined that the display name used for the post was fake and that the person who posted the threat was a student at the school. So in this case, they've identified him, and now they've referred the kid to juvenile authorities. Here's here's the issue that, that's there. Now that they've caught this kid, I, I hope— that we don't just dismiss this as a slap on a wrist. I mean, you know, we always talk tough. Oh, this is terrible. You know, people are freaked out. We've got schools going into virtual or whatever. When these type of things happen and they're able to catch the people who do it, you – I, I don't know if you start by expelling the kid, that might be a good first step, but then you definitely have to have some degree of accountability, because if you're at a student at school, you know darn well that if you go on a website and you post a fake threat, you know that that is designed to alarm people, and you have to be held accountable. Um, a lot of stuff coming up in the third hour of the program, which begins right after the top of the hour news. Don't go anywhere.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at The Avenue. It's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff
0: Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. A little bit heavy for the first couple hours of the program. We'll lighten it up just a tad as we move through this third hour of the show. Um, as, as I have been... I think predicting for a while, as I was one of the people that told you about yesterday and a move that I think is great. The state Supreme Court race just got a lot more interesting. Waukesha County Circuit Judge Jennifer Doro, who has come to, I think, public attention, of course, by her handling of the Daryl Brooks trial. She has now announced that she is going to be joining the race for the state Supreme Court now by by way of background, and I, we've gone over this in the last couple of days, but I'm, not everybody listens to every moment of the program. There are seven Supreme Court justices right now. The ideological split is you have four conservative justices and f- three liberal justices, and. The, the conservative justices have been, I think, a sort of reined in some of Tony Evers's, in my opinion, worst impulses and, and things like that. I, I, I say only half flippantly that I think we still might be shut down from COVID if Tony Evers had gotten his way and the state Supreme Court had not interjected. But the, the split is four, three. The, the terms are long terms. They are 10-year terms. And a court seat is up this April. Patience Rogensack, who's the former chief justice in the Supreme Court, she's been on there for a long, long time. She is retiring. I believe uh, Justice Rogensack is in her 80s and she's not going to run again. So she is she's part of the conservative wing of the court. And so this is a race that. All, while all supreme court races are important this is one that is particularly important because if the liberals could somehow get a liberal justice elected that would give them a majority on the court and you would see i think a lot of different approaches to to things moving forward there are two liberal two liberal judges who are running one is a Milwaukee county judge The other is a Dane County judge, and they're going to be kind of competing for the the liberal vote. Up until today, there had been one, what I will call conservative person running, and that's Dan Kelly. Dan Kelly may be familiar for you because he was appointed to the state Supreme Court by Scott Walker in 2016. He ran for a full 10-year term in 2020. And he he lost, and he lost decisively. He lost like 55-45 to a woman named Joel Karofsky, who is one of the state Supreme Court justices now. So you know, Kelly want, has been wanting that job back. And, you know, he's been going around and getting endorsements and things like that. And I have no problem with Dan Kelly, except for the fact that he, he lost decisively a couple years ago. And so the question that a lot of people are asking is, okay, for a guy who ran once— lost what is what is different well what's the different dynamic why do we think that he's going to be able to win and that's a question that nobody's been able to answer to my satisfaction well today jennifer doro who's a waukesha county circuit judge who again claimed to came to fame with the the um daryl brooks trial she announced that she is running now a, a lot of people i don't think know too much about judge doro because I'm not sure up till this the Daryl Brooks trial that she certainly didn't have necessarily a statewide presence, but she's she's not a Johnny come lately to to the law the field of law. She's been a lawyer since 1996. She was an assistant district attorney, so she has experience as a prosecutor in Waukesha County. She then did some time in private practice. Um, I I think one of her partners was one of my law school classmates, I I believe, and she was appointed to the circuit court bench by Scott Walker in 2011. So she's she's been a judge in Waukesha County for the last 10, 11 years. So it's not like... This is somebody who just kind of parachuted into Wisconsin and only has a couple years of experience. No, I mean, she's, she's got a diverse and extensive background. She's, um, has administrative roles. I think she's like the chief administrative judge for, for the region, which, you know, means she handles administrative issues as well. So she's got that kind of background and she would be, I think, aligned with the conservative side. Her entry into the race has Democrats and liberals apoplectic. Because she immediately, I think, becomes the front runner, and that's why you've heard statements there. The from the, I, I'm, I'm I'm getting all sorts of stuff. Oh, there, we're, this is she. She's an extremist. Oh, that that's the word that gets thrown around nowadays. Oh, you're you're just an extremist. Well, the truth is, she, she's she's a, a mainstream judge with a a a solid background of of work. And it will be interesting to see, I think, when the media comes around with this, I'll be interested to see if the media gives the same degree of scrutiny to her decisions as they do to uh, – well, they give the same degree of scrutiny that they give to her – also to some of the other candidates that are out there. And I'm not going to hold my breath waiting for that. But um, she gets into the race. I think she immediately becomes the front runner, even though you're, you're going to now she, she's going to be subject to all sorts of attacked and mischaracterizations. There's already maybe I'll talk about it tomorrow. There's already something coming out about, well, she supports getting rid of cash bail. Yes and no, that that's not the, that's not the whole story. But we'll talk about that maybe later. But um, I think she's a great addition She's um, in a situation where she will, I, I think, I think once the public gets to know her beyond that court, I think they're they're going to like her. They're, there's just there's no question about it. And I think she showed certainly the judicial temperament that a lot of us believe are important. So Jennifer Doro has announced that she is running for the state Supreme Court. Um, you would imagine. And yeah, now it's a four way primary so that the top and you don't run as republican or democrat it's a four way primary so you would imagine that the of the two candidates that emerge um it'll either be Doro or Dan Kelly or alternative and alternatively one of the two you know liberal candidates that, that are running as, as well and and then leading up to that ideological showdown now it's possible i guess that the the two liberal candidates could be the top vote getters and emerge or the two conservative candidates could be the top vote getters and emerge i don't think that's likely i think what's going to happen is you're, you're going to have one conservative candidate and one liberal candidate the primary election is sometime in in mid-february i believe and there's going to be a lot of money that ends up being spent on it. But I, I just, as I've been saying for the longest time, I think this is a good step for people who don't want to see the ideological split on the court switch. I think her position in the race is is a good one. And I think it if she ends up being... One of the candidates that emerges from the primary, I think it's, it's going to be good for the state of Wisconsin. And again, good for those of us who think that it's important to have a conservative majority on the state Supreme Court. So Jennifer Doro is in the race. Stay tuned. When we come back, well, it's a luxury, but it's nice. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Now, for the longest time, I, I was one of these people who said, oh, why – if you buy a car, why do you need all the bells and whistles? I, I mean, do you really need the backup camera? Do you really need the – do you really need the, the, the lane change thing that beeps at you for the blind spot thing? And, th- and then the creature comfort stuff. H- how about those, those heated seats? I had a friend, my dear friend Jack, who had a car who had heated seats. And I will tell you something. I know it was a luxury. I know it was excessive, but I used to love riding his car. There was something about getting in his car. We used to go to Marquette games together and, you know, getting into his car on a cold Tuesday night and kind of turning on that, that heated seat. And next thing you know, it's warm. I just loved it. And, and so I, I was driving an older car and I finally, I made the decision a couple of years ago when I bought the, the car. I, it, it's got to have heated seats. I, I've just, I've got to have that. And so, got that car. And then, um, okay, I kind of got spoiled because I like the heated seats. And so, then what happened is we're getting another, we were getting another car. And in in order to get the the stuff that I I wanted on the car, you had to, to upgrade to this particular package. And part of the package was a heated steering wheel. And I remember saying, well, who who needs a heated steering wheel? I mean, come on! I mean, that that's you want to talk about excessive uh, heated steering wheel. And but they they said to me, well, no, that that's the deal. I mean, it's it comes with if you if there's stuff that you really want, you want this particular car and you want this package. That's just part of it. We can't take it off. You know, it's, it's it that's how it's made. It comes with the heated steering wheel. So okay, I, I want the other stuff, so I'll pay the extra money. Got the heated steering wheel, and. I immediately fell in love with it. It was just like, oh, my gosh. I, I mean, I understand it's excessive, but the heated seats and the heated steering wheel. So what has happened, I don't know exactly how this has happened, but as things have shifted, the car with the heated steering wheel, my wife is driving that. I, I she, She's somehow gotten that car, and, and I'm I'm driving the car. Now, it's, it's my car. Nice. It's got the bells and whistles, got the heated seat, but I don't have the heated steering wheel. So it was, you know, cold this morning, no question about it. And I said to her, um, she said, Boy, is it, is it cold? She had to run some errands and stuff. And I said, Yeah, but remember, at least you've got the heated steering wheel. And she said, well, I'd forgotten about the heated steering wheel. Oh, yeah. And so then I'm driving to work and the phone rings and it's my lovely wife. She's saying, Boy, this heated steering wheel is really nice. I absolutely love it. You know, and I thought, Yeah, that, that's good as I'm grabbing my, my cold steering wheel there. I, I never thought that the, these. Bells and whistles. I I never thought it would necessarily be important, and I'm not saying I I couldn't get a car that that didn't have the heated seats or the heated steering wheel, but having said that, that whether it's the the rear view backup camera, whether it's the the things that beep when they tell you when there's somebody in your blind spot or whatever, whether it's the heated seat, whether it's the, um, again, the heated steering wheel, I guess If you were to talk to me five or six years ago, I would say, oh, this is all excessive. You don't need it. And now I'm like, well, I I understand there's a cost, but if I can afford it, I want it. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the WTMJ talk and text line. Okay. Excessive or really, really nice? The heated steering wheels, the heated seats. I'm going to tell you on a cold Wisconsin morning, um, I, I, I appreciated the heated seats, And my wife was the first to point out that she appreciated the heated steering wheel. And I never would have thought that it would have made that big a deal, but I really like it. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm the exact same way. The steering wheel, the heated steering wheel is simple, but it's a game changer. (laughs) It's been a game changer. Jeff, have you ever been in a car with chilled seats? It's amazing. I haven't been but i've ordered a new car there i'm 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 getting it in february and again it was the same sort of thing i wouldn't have i wouldn't have purchased it as a specialty thing but the package that that you know it it's chilled seats or the, the came with the package i bought and so it, it comes along with it it's all rolled into the price so i'll be getting them 855-616-1620 excessive or I have it. I love it. I'm never going back. We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. We're talking about kind of the, the, the bells and whistles on cars. Jeff, I have a remote starter. I would start my car summer and winter from my office. I think it's absolutely awesome. The, the, the new car we bought, we, we lost the car in the flood in Florida. So we, we purchased a new car, um, to essentially replace that one. One of the one I'm driving now is going to go down there for at least while we rotate them all but um the new car i have has the uh the remote start the new car that i'm going to be getting that my wife is going to be driving that that has a remote starter jeff absolutely heated seats steering wheel and cooled seats they're wonderful i didn't appreciate the cooled seats until we were in florida jeff i guess it's one of those things you don't know what you've got till it's gone i think that there's an element of that um jeff I'm 65, and you can get anything you want. The only thing is that you have to learn how to use the stuff. Well, that that's it. But I'm I'm quickly doing that. You know, I'm I'm able to I'm able to figure those things out. Um, let's see, Jeff. For me, the thing that I really like is the electric start on my car. Jeff, um, I love. Our heated steering wheel. Yeah, see, this is—it's one of those things that I admit. It sounds excessive. It sounds silly. It sounds crazy. Why do you need that? And then I'm sitting there driving to work, going, boy, you know, I, I wish. I'm very thrilled that my wife has the car with the heated steering wheel. But boy, that would be kind of nice, Jeff. Um, I'm the exact same way. The sim—the steering wheel is simple. But I think it ends up being a game changer as well. Jeff, I think it's evolution. Luxuries become necessities over time. Well, I don't know. Again, necessity, no, but pretty darn nice. And if you're in a position you can afford it, well, it's kind of like treat yourself. Life is short. Ron in Rome. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon.
6: Yeah, Jeff. I'm kind of the opposite of you. I'm 66, and I, you know, like my first car was a 66 Mustang, which sounds cool, but I had it in '76. So <laughs> when I bought my '82 Chevette, I thought that was great because it was a car that started and it went places when I, you know, put, put the key in. Right. And so I always like to just have basic transportation, and I still like to have a four-cylinder car with a stick shift. Okay. That's getting impossible to find. I'm driving to Iowa City on on Friday to pick up my car because that's the only place in three states that I could find a, a manual shift car. Now my wife likes all these things since we had a two thousand Passat with the heated seat, so ever since then I've had to spend an extra ten grand on every car <laughs> to get all these things we never use, like the navigation, which isn't as good as the Google Maps. Yeah. And then it has all this stuff that interferes with my driving like the adaptive cruise control. And I grew up in New York so it's usually flashing brake, brake, brake right. when I'm driving. Right. And Ron? Now she hit a deer, she, <laughs> uh, and uh, so that stuff all makes it way more expensive to fix. So the windshields, when you have to replace them, are a thousand bucks because they have their cameras. So I just like a basic car, but they are disappearing and hard to find. And I don't have a garage because I keep my Mustang and the Harley in it. Right. So, uh, which are also manual shifts. But, Ron, so Ron, I a couple, just, did, did, piece of advice. Ron, start it up.
0: piece of advice. Happy wife, happy life. Right. <laughs>
6: Well, yeah, she gets all those things, <laughs> yeah. but um, I just keep it
0: basic. <laughs> Thanks for calling. I, I understand that. You know, I, I, I get it, and I, I think that there's people that – Jeff, I love my GPS navigation display. Much easier than popping up your phone and trying to follow that display. I have – um the the car – my last couple of cars do have the, the GPS. Matter of fact, that's the the one car – one of the cars we're driving. That was it. To get the GPS, you had to upgrade, and you had to get the heated steering wheels. But that's – um you know, that's – that's okay. That, that's all right as well. And I understand some people are saying, well, it's not fair to compare the luxuries like a heated seat and the heating steering wheel to the, the safety stuff like the backup camera. But I, I, I lump that in the same category. For the longest time, I thought, well, who needs a backup camera? Well, I, I love having that backup camera and I love having the, the lane change things that not necessarily the deviation I set, shut that off, but the thing that, that beeps if you've got somebody in your blind spot. I think that that's, I think that that stuff is all great. And so. I, I think the, um, I, again, if you're out there and you are fortunate enough to have one of those vehicles with a heated steering wheel, you might, if you don't have one of those, Mike Spalding, if you don't have one of those cars, you might think it's excessive, but, but trust me, on a cold Wisconsin morning, it, it's something that people like.
2: It is a game changer. I didn't think it would be necessary. My wife's car a couple of years ago got it. You turn soft real fast. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, when I was looking for a new car too, I was like, okay, that's one thing I really need, which I never thought I would say I, five years ago, but
0: man, it's nice. It is. And I was, again, I was kind of thinking about that as cause the car I'm driving now doesn't have it. The car my wife is driving does. And I actually reminded her of that. And then she called me up as I was coming into work saying, Thanks for reminding me, hon. This is really <laughs> nice. And I'm thinking, well, you're very welcome, sweetheart. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad you're enjoying it while I'm, I'm cold. But yeah, it, it sounds silly. It sounds excessive. But it is, you're right. Game changer would be a good way to describe it, especially on a cold Wisconsin morning.
2: Yeah, there's no reason to be
0: miserable if you don't have to be. You yeah, know, that's I- how I look at it. Well, and it's one of those that I would never have. Pur- I would never have purchased it as a standalone. If they would have said this is an option, I wouldn't have taken it. it. Just I got into it because again, this the package that I wanted. It came with. So there were other things that I wanted, so it came with it. But. I'm kind of glad it did. And this car we just bought that we're taking, we're getting their building and we're going to get it in February or March. This one does definitely have the heated seats and it has the air, this one has the air conditioned seats too.
2: Oh, that's I, nice. My parents'
0: SUV has that. You don't think you want it and then you get it. I've, never, like, oh, nice. I've, I've never had it. It comes with the package. So um, I, I'm never leaving that car. I think that's the bottom line. I'm living in that car. After a
2: long uh, 18 holes, Jeff, you're going to enjoy the nice cooled breeze on the seats. I promise you.
0: All right. I'm looking forward to that. And Mike, as you were talking about the Dow up. Uh, Big. The Dow Jones uh, up over five hundred points, but that's that's one point seven nine percent increase. The Nasdaq is where you that's it, up four hundred twenty four points, but that's that's almost a four percent increase. And for people who are wondering why what, what what's going on today, um, over the last couple months, the, the Federal Reserve has raised the prime interest rate three quarters of a percentage point four times in a row um, in an effort to try to stop inflation. the 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 head of the Federal Reserve hinted today that there's going to be another rate increase in december but it's it's going to be half a percentage point instead of three quarters and that's why the market is responding and they're thinking okay, this means that maybe we're coming closer to the end of these interest rate hikes which um you know make it more difficult for businesses to borrow so that's why the stock market's up big
2: whatever it takes jeff i'm into it
0: whatever it takes because you got to pay for that heated steering and wheel someone has to <laughs> <laughs> absolutely when we come back there are two types of people in the world which type are you? I will explain. We will discuss. One of our techs, Jeff, I'm a rural milk carrier. You bet I wish we had a heated steering wheel on a day like today. Uh, breaking news, and and this this just sucks. I, I don't know how else to say it. Um. You know there are there are various bands out there which are are kind of transformative. When you think about you know rock and roll through the years, you think about the Beatles, you think about the Rolling Stones. Um, one of the bands you think about is is Fleetwood Mac. And I mean I remember late seventies when you had you know the, the you you had Fleetwood Mac that came out, and, and Fleetwood Mac had been around for years and years. But their their most popular iteration was Mick Fleetwood playing the drums, John McVie playing the bass. Lindsey Buckingham playing uh, the the he was the guitarist. You had Christine McVie who was um, she would play the piano and or the organ, and then you had Stevie Nicks. That that was the incarnation of Fleetwood Mac that really kind of took off. And you had their first song they came it out, and then you had their their song Rumor the album Rumor Rumors. I, I've told this story before on the radio, so bear with me for just a second. But we this was Alpine Valley had been open for like a year or two hadn't been open for very long, and Fleetwood Mac had booked two shows at alpine valley and then they announced a third show so this was the day where these were the days where it was before al gore invented the internet and you actually had to physically go to like a sears store and stand outside a Ticketmaster window and, and get the tickets so i forget if it was me or my buddy evan or steve or i, I forget who it was but we, we got these tickets um for the third show when they went on sale so we drive down to alpine valley and you know we and as it turned out long story short we had front row seats they kept saying, "Oh, you're down there." We had front row seats for Fleetwood Mac during their, their Rumours tour, and it was it was we were close enough that you could yell at the band and they could hear you. And and I know that because my buddy Evan yelled something at Stevie Nicks, something nice, and she actually kind of looked at him. You know? So it was oh, said, oh, that's that's interesting. So I mean, I've always had a, a fond spot in my, my heart for Fleetwood Mac. I bring this up because Christine McVie, who was Again, she, she played the piano but she was one of the vocalists as well. She was the um wife of bassist John um McVee. They they ended up divorcing. Christine McVee passed away. I just announced that. Um died, they described after a very short illness. She was seventy-nine years old. Man. Um it's she would be you know, when you think about the Fleetwood Mac songs, um she's probably she was the lead vocalist on Don't Stop, you know, which is probably their most famous song maybe you know bill clinton you know that like that the don't stop they can remember when he was elected and that's they're performing at his election night party um you make loving fun she was the lead vocalist on that say you love me um that was one of hers as well um over my head that was one of hers and she's had many songs as well um but a Songbird from the Rumors album, that would be another one of her. Um, but, but she was, you know, one of the vocalists. When you think about the vocalists from Fleetwood Mac, you think about Stevie Nicks probably more than than any. But Christine McVie was always a classy lady. She it was interesting. Her background is that she she spent a long time. She stopped performing, and she married a, an, like an English gentleman. I remember that. And, and so she was living... She was like living in an, like an English country estate for the longest time, and then for whatever reason, um, a while back she decided she wanted to get back into music, and has been touring with the latest iterations of Fleetwood Mac and stuff. But Christine McVie passing away at the age of of seventy nine, and I guess maybe this is just another example of how how quickly time passes because it didn't. I, I, when you think about it, I think okay, well, it kind of makes sense that that's that's how old she was, but you didn't. Necessarily think of her as being 79 years old. I'll just always remember her from those various Fleetwood Mac shows. So anyways, they say she passed away peacefully after a very, very short illness. And, um, this is, this has been a really, really tough year for, for, for celebrities and, you know, musicians and movie stars and TV actors and stuff, it's been really tough. Um, lost a lot of people. And the most recent one is, again, um, uh, Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac. She was an incredible, incredible talent. And anybody that's followed Fleetwood Mac over the years, I think, you know, recognizes that. Christine McVie passing away. Sail on. When we come back, there's two types of people in the world. Which one are you? That is uh, Christine McVie wrote that song, and that went on to be it's, it's probably the biggest seller for for Fleetwood Mac. There's a couple other ones, but uh, that's that's Christine McVie and the, the piano. That's her piano playing. Passing away at the age of 79. Can't believe she was 79 years old. Okay, we only have a couple minutes, but I, I've been thinking about this all day. Elon Musk, right? The guy that that took 44 billion dollars and bought Twitter and things like that. A couple days ago, Elon Musk sends out a, a picture on Twitter of of his nightstand, and it's got, you know, a couple pictures on it, and it's got a book on it, and it's got four cans of Diet Coke. You know, Elon Musk is, is sort of like a Diet Coke junkie, and he's not the only one that who's a Diet Coke junkie. Now, we all know, you know, Donald Trump, Donald Trump apparently, you know, he was he, – says, at least, they, they say he drinks like anywhere between 6 and 12 cans of of Diet Coke a day. He used to have a call button on the desk, and the call button was primarily his means of summoning a fresh glass of that. Ben Affleck, you frequently see him holding a can uh, of Diet Coke in paparazzi photos. Um, that's he, He's a Diet Coke guy, and there's lots of people who are like that they're diet coke people but the fact that now elon musk has you know shown his bedstand showing that that he's you know this is what he's drinking you know this is a guy that can spend 44 billion dollars to buy twitter and he's drinking all this diet coke and and the internet is now a buzz with the two types of people that there are in the world those are the people that drink diet coke and get it or the people that don't our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the WTMJ talk and text line. And I I have a confession to make. Um, you know my name is Jeff, and I'm a Diet Coke addict. I I just I freely, I freely acknowledge that. I mean, I drink coffee in the morning, and I drink Diet Coke, you know, afternoon and into the evenings. My wife doesn't understand how you can you know drink a caffeinated Diet Coke at ten o'clock at night and still sleep, but I do. Um, she, she doesn't drink coffee, but she loves Diet Coke, and so I'm always able to kind of figure out where she's been because there's like a trail of three-quarters empty Diet Coke cans left in various places. So, you know, at the Wagner household, we are the Diet Coke people, and it, it's certainly not because of Elon Musk or Donald Trump or Ben Affleck or whatever. It, it's just because we're those folks that Diet Coke has become sort of the, the go-to soft drink of of choice, is it the healthiest thing? No, of course not. I, I acknowledge it. I'd be better off drinking water, but I, I, I like diet. I like Diet Coke. I drink Diet Coke. And if I'm in like one of these restaurants and you say, I'd like a Diet Coke, and they say, well, we only have Pepsi products, I admit, don't think so. 855 616 1620. That's the WTMJ talking text line. We only have a couple minutes before I have to turn it over to John McCure. But just like men are from Mars, women are from Venus, there are two types of people in the world. There are those of us. Who just can't live without our Diet Coke. And then there's the rest of the world that just doesn't understand why we can't live without Diet Coke. Where do you fall? 855-616-1620, which is the WTMJ talk and text line. Jeff, like you, I drink a Diet Coke almost every day, especially on ice from McDonald's. It has an iconic taste and I just flat enjoy it. Jeff, Coke Zero is far better than Diet Coke. Oh, contrary. Oh, contrary. I, I, I've tried Coke Zero, too sweet for me. I know there's something about that. There's something about Diet Coke that just works for me. Jeff, many years ago, I quit smoking, and years later, I had to quit drinking Diet Coke. Gave up uh Diet Coke, was way harder than giving up smoking. Jeff, McDonald's has the best Diet Coke. Well, I kind of like that as well. Jeff, I like Diet Coke, but I love Diet Pepsi. See, I got to confess, that's something that I, I don't... That's something I don't get, because Diet Pepsi is just way, way, way too sweet for me, and it always tastes kind of like it's flattened. When I was a kid, I grew up drinking Pepsi, but now Diet Coke forever. John on the north side. John, you're on WTMJ. Hey, buddy. Hi, John. I'm
6: going to tell you this. I, Hi. I, my wife, she, she used to be Diet Coke. She Diet 7-Up now. If I come home late and don't have that Diet 7-Up... I'm going to divorce court. There's <laughs> No two ways. to look looking at it, and I'm married 50, 54 years. Like, well, but well, <laughs> you got to have that diet. That's Seven Up. I mean, it's just a, a you I, know, if she drinks a, all day. Yeah, all I all day she drinks them. I get the two liters.
0: Yeah. Oh, the big bottles. Yeah. The, thanks. Where I, I just, I mean, I, I have Diet Seven Up at the house. See, I can't drink regular soda for for a variety of reasons. I don't want the sugar, but I. But it's, it's always just, that's always too sweet for me. So I, we have Diet 7 up at the house, Diet Ginger Ale. Lately, I've been alternating my Diet Cokes with Diet Root Beer, um, which it's kind of like root beer, but that's... Jeff, I love Diet Zero, but I Coke Zero, but I had to give it up. It was really hard. My husband is a huge Dr. Pepper. Yuck. Don't like that. Jeff, uh, to me, Diet Coke, I'm with you. Diet Pepsi, yuck. Let's talk to Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. What do you think? Diet Coke forever?
1: Um, I, yes, very much so. I've gone to restaurants, and I had waitresses say, I'm sorry, we don't have Coke products, we have Pepsi. And I looked and said, if you really want a really good tip, you <laughs> go find me some Diet Coke.
0: <laughs> that, that that works out well. Thanks for What was it? Okay, I think... Oh, it was American Family Field. Up until last year, American Family Field used to have Pepsi products, and I, I'm sorry, I mean, I don't defend people, but I, I just, I didn't like them. I didn't like them, and this year they switched to Diet Coke, and I was a much, um, I was much happier. Um, Jeff, all I drink is Mountain Dew and Miller High Life. (laughs) Well, okay, Mountain Dew, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna get wired. That's it. Jeff, I love Diet Coke. I've enjoyed it for 30 years. I will always choose it over anything else. When I go to lots of places, they don't have it. I'm disappointed, but I drink it, you know, um, I drink it every day. Jeff, I have had Diet Coke twice in my life. Both times I had the worst headache. Makes me wonder what's in it. Never again. Hmm. I don't know. I don't have that product. Jeff, I prefer Diet Jolly Good Cream Soda at night. I haven't had a cream soda in ages. Jeff, Diet Coke all the way. I call it my vice. I don't smoke. I drink alcohol moderately, but Diet Coke, I absolutely love it. Um, Jeff, I like both, but I'm more Pepsi. I think Coke has a bite to it over the sweet Pepsi. Maybe that would be, I, I just guess I find Pepsi to be, too sweet. And so that's why I like the Diet Coke. Our text line has just exploded. I'm sorry, I don't have enough time to read it all. But I was really thinking about this because Diet Coke is back in the news. And, and Elon Musk, I, I don't know whether you love Elon Musk or hate Elon Musk, I don't know if it's a key to success. But the guy had $44 billion to spend on Twitter. And he he likes Diet Coke. So I don't know, may, maybe we're in good graces. But if you see me out and about, and I'm drinking a soda, the the odds are, Really, 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 really good that that's going to be a Diet Coke. Diet Pepsi, nah. Diet Mountain Dew, nah. Um, Coke Zero, still don't get that. Give me my old-fashioned Diet Coke.